most recent one, we were fortunate enough to have a baby beluga show up on a dive. They swam in and around and under and over and it would disappear and then it would sneak up on us and start tugging on our fins and we, we weren't engaging it at all, right? I have, to, I have to say that. We weren't engaging it at all and it would just come back out of nowhere. Uh, it scared me once or twice because like, I thought it was gone and then we'd be going off and I'd turn around and it was right over my shoulder t- looking at me like, what are you doing? It's episode 76 of Dive in the Podcast with special guest Chris Power. Dive in the Podcast is a weekly all about diving podcast for everyone. Whether you explore the oceans as a snorkeler, scuba diver, free diver, or tech diver, Dive In has something for you. The show is filled with diving news, feature interviews with guests from around the world, interesting dive topics, ocean advocacy, and much more. Visit diveinpod.com to find out about the show, past guests, the hosts, and our Patreon. Hi, I'm Nick. And tonight on A Single Breath, I discuss the benefits of free diving. I also review the book recommendation, The Third Dive, An Investigation into the Death of Rob Stewart by Robert Osborne. I'm April. I'm Amit, and we're the hosts of Dive in the Podcast. Before we start today's episode, we'd like to thank you, the listeners. Thanks for tuning in every week. Your support encourages us to keep going and make a bigger and better podcast. What'd you guys all think of last week's episode, which was the special little episode with uh, me, Justin, and Amit? Well, I mean, it was uh, a lot more emotional than I thought, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, I guess it was great to be able to check back in a little bit. Uh, and I kind of missed my man, Nick. Well, yeah. I, I, I gotta say, I just, uh, just as I was sitting down to, uh, you know, tune into the spreadsheet for this tonight's episode recording. Uh, I was just starting to listen to last week's episode. It's probably the first time I'm behind on a podcast episode, so I am not <laughs> quite there yet. So I'm looking forward to listening to it. I, I've only heard good things about it. Actually, yeah, it's it was a good episode, and uh, a lot of people reached out to me and uh, we're talking about the episode. But I won't spoil it. Maybe if uh, nobody's listened to it yet, so I'll leave it there. But uh, that's a good move. Uh, Nick. Nick, it's uh, it's nice of you to uh, join us tonight. Uh, we uh, mm-hmm. I thought you were dead, but um, yeah, it's nice to have you back. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've, just, been, I've been. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, a minute. I, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, what can I tell you? Is it nice to have you back, or is it just that you're ditching us <laughs> to do like cool rebreather courses? Are we even friends anymore? What's happening? Yeah. Like, we're are you sure friends, we right? can produce this show together? Like, I don't know, man. Yeah. I'm feeling. Feeling left out, Nick. I think. I think. I think the proof is in tonight's episode pudding because uh, you did a great job of uh, jumping in when when I couldn't. And uh, <laughs> you know, summer summer's been challenging. You know, like COVID. COVID's mm-hmm. been challenging. I I think as as the hosts here know, I, I haven't had a lot of work in, in the last year because I was trying to get this photography stuff off the ground. And you know, anybody anybody looks at an underwater photographer and, and looks at the work they do and go, oh, this 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 person's got it made. Like you know, there's I'm just you know the tip of the iceberg and figuring out what it takes to 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 be there uh mm-hmm. but all the networking has started to pay off so I've, I've had a few jobs and uh actually for a couple of the episodes you know like with um uh, i think with luca i tried to log on but i was at in new brunswick in, in a really remote like little seaside mm-hmm. cabin you know overnight for some work and i can log in and then I really had all intentions of, you know, I pre-produced a lot of stuff for the, the episodes while I was doing the Revo crossover in Ontario. And I had all the intentions of logging on. But, you know, Ron Waxman at, at Benthic Scuba in Windsor is a man of energy and a man with a plan. And uh, if I had any any inkling that I would, you know, get an hour or two uh, once a week free to, to, to join in, that quickly vaporized when, when I got there. Um, and I certainly want to have him on the show as well. So, yeah, I've just been busy doing work and, and just sort of kind of doing that sort of stuff. And it's just... You know, just lined up, man. That, uh, that I just couldn't like make the episodes. But it's actually really nice to be back. The only thing is, I'm I'm missing Justin because it's his turn to be away tonight. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, so we're missing him tonight. Well, you know, it's one of these things, though. I gotta say, is I, I think you kind of highlighted it a bit. It's like even though you were away from the show, you weren't really away from the show because a lot of that behind the scenes work. That you know, of course, I'm ribbing you, and and we kind of have to do that. But uh, <laughs> it, it's just the way that things operate. But the truth is, really, you may not have been physically present on the show, but your influence on all those pieces, where you're, you know, you're you're basically scheduling in the background, you're playing hockey with the guests back and forth. How many people are you sending emails to? All that's been looked after. <laughs> 
there's still questions that are being written. And for the folks that don't know, uh, he's still stressing in the background. Eh? So uh, <laughs> I'm sitting here getting ready for the show and he's sending me uh, WhatsApp texts being like, so you know about this, right? And don't forget about this. I'm like, don't worry about it, Nick. We got this sorted, man. Like, it'll be all right. <laughs> so well, I, I, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. I thought I had a foolproof plan. I knew, I knew like a couple of weeks would be challenging me for it to come on the episode. I didn't think it stretched a five or six and then i you know like uh, if guests don't know this but we try to line up guests at least four to six weeks in advance because we do this on a rolling basis and trying to trying to schedule one guest from one week to the next is just a little too stressful as as listeners would have noticed we've we've probably had a couple of hiccups in recent weeks and that's just uh just been fluke between hosts not lining up and the odd mm. guest uh you know having internet connectivity issues but uh yeah we're we're still committed to to producing this show and and keeping it going so yeah a little little summer hiccup and transition out of covid and busy lives and all of that but uh yeah it's nice to be back yeah and you know it's uh it kind of this is a good segue before we get into the rest of the episode but we did get a chance to catch up with everyone and now we've gotten a little bit of a chance to catch up with you and and i think maybe we're going to put you on the spot one of these days and actually pin you down for the nick winkler episode that uh, you keep dodging like you're playing dodgeball or something <laughs> I, i'm not uh, playing so. any dodgeball i just <laughs> i just i just schedule guests i mean the earliest opportunity would not be for at least another few weeks <laughs> right right yeah okay we'll we'll get them pinned down folks don't worry about it we'll hear the nick winkler stories <laughs> all right nick well we're happy to have you back and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, after after jamming about a year and a half uh, worth of work into one summer, uh, you'll, you'll be able to make a few more uh, episodes. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. Thank you, April. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. And so uh, tonight we're speaking to Chris Power. So Chris Power is a PADI instructor teaching out of St. John's Ocean Quest Adventures. He's a technical diver, side mount diver, photographer, and I got to say, an all-round nice guy. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Best kind around here. Sorry? Is it his best kind around here? Newfoundland. Best kind, best of kind. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. <laughs> we'll officially start your interview in a moment, Chris. But uh, okay. before that, uh, have you ever found anything of value while diving in the ocean, like a treasure? Uh, I've found lots of interesting things. Nothing I was allowed to take with me. Been on a few shipwrecks. <laughs> Well, that's, uh, that's being a good diver, I guess, uh, because uh, that kind of leads us right into this week's news segment. Uh, a diver uh, found a gold coin worth $98,000 off uh, on a wreck off of Key West. Um, and the way the story goes is that a local treasure hunter working on the Nestro de Atocha, a Spanish galleon shipwreck in the Florida Keys, found an exceedingly rare Atocha gold coin. Engineer and diver Zach Moore, who's a second-generation treasure hunter out of Vero Beach, uh, Florida, found the gold coin in July in about 30 feet of water. Uh, and the last Atocha coin was recovered from the site in 2001. Uh, coins have been valued at $98,000 and is the 121st coin of that kind to be found on the shipwreck. At the time of the sinking in 1622, the ship was heavily laden with gold, silver, gems, and other valuables bound from the New World for Spain. So the cargo's estimated value uh, is around $400 million. So I guess you haven't found anything that interesting, have you? <laughs> no, but... Uh... Just send me the, the, the coordinates. I'll be down there soon. Yeah. <laughs> okay, check <laughs> no it out. Yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure Zach, exactly. Zach Moore will just publish those freely online. I mean, yeah. I, I was just, I remember when I first read this, I was just like, man, podcast pension. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, Dive in the <laughs> world. The world tour is being sponsored by Spanish galleons. <laughs> but then I recall it was not us that found it. And we are back to reality. But that is a pretty cool find, though, man. Could you imagine? And it's a cool-looking coin, too. If you have a look at the at the uh, pictures on that article, uh, which I think the link will have down uh, on the show, in the show notes, information. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, it's a pretty cool-looking coin, too. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, every diver dreams of uh, finding something interesting and, and valuable. Um, and also, I think from the story that I, mm -hmm. I read, I think I read a, another article. I think um, the, I think it was his family or his dad might have actually found the the wreck originally uh when it when it was first discovered so it's not their first time diving it so it's been known for for that for that treasure so that's that's pretty cool wow and uh yeah um one of the books that i'm going to be recommending in the coming weeks has to do with sunken wrecks so we'll kind of touch back on that um so that's it for today's news it's time to dive in with chris power um where are you originally from chris 
Well, I grew up mainly in uh, Lower Sackville, Nova Scotia, but uh, my father's in shipbuilding, so we we traveled a lot. Wherever the boat, once the boat floated, we moved to the next shipyard. I've been all over Canada. Okay, so you, you've you've had a connection with with the water from from early on. Do you recall your first memory of the water or of the ocean? No, uh, for as long as I can remember, it's always been there. But I have some memories of the West Coast and the East Coast. And uh, I know when I went to school in Alberta, uh, the, one of the first things I did when I got back from college was uh, learn how to dive. I, I, I was uh, very drive. <laughs> I guess that leads us into my next question was, how did you come to learn to dive? Uh, I always wanted to dive. Um, I told dad years ago, I wanted to learn how to dive. And he said, well, he didn't know anything about it. And he's like, well, when you can swim from the length of the pool underwater, we'll, we'll get you in lessons. So that didn't happen. <laughs> so when I got back from college, uh, I signed up for a course the end of my first summer back. And uh, I learned how to dive with, uh, with torpedo rays, actually. First dive was uh, Fox Point Beach. <laughs> a classic. Yeah, I think we can uh, relate to that one, Chris. Yeah. That was my first dive, uh, official dive, I guess, if you get right down to being official. A couple other dives in some maybe undisclosed locations, but <laughs> we can't talk about those. <clears throat> who was who was your instructor? Uh, Jessica. Ah, Jessica McEachran. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so at what point then did you decide that just diving wasn't enough and you wanted to become an instructor? I used to work with the cadet instructor cadre, the uh, branch of the military that runs cadets. So I've always enjoyed teaching. But uh, in 2014, I uh, I really dove into diving. Uh, I only had about 30 dives from 2007 <laughs> to 2014. And by the end of 2014, I had almost 200. So uh, 2014 was a very busy year. And that's when I did my uh, rescue and dive master. And then the instructor here uh, kept hassling me to get my instructors eventually. So in 2017, I went to uh, UDC in Nutella for uh, two months. And I did my instructor's course, my tech 40, 45, 50, and a photography course while I was there. Everybody said I made them look bad because I was always working. <laughs> ah, that's something else what appealed to you about the instructor role um i i love instructing i've always kind of been since i was in a cadet i learned how to teach and one of my uh specialties was teaching people how to teach so when i got out of that um something was missing and i wanted to teach something and this was a great way of combining my two passions, one teaching, two diving. Very cool. And so obviously within that, though, uh, you mentioned actually learning to teach or doing your IDC components of teaching while you were in Utella. Um, how did that shape your perspectives about instructing? And, you know, what do you feel was really special about doing your instructor course there? Because we've luckily we've had uh, others who have gone there, a show host as well. Um yeah, what, uh, Utila is highly regarded as a great IDC area. Tell us about your, your time there and how that's informed your diving. Well, what was great was I was actually trained by Andy. Um, unfortunately, he passed away a couple years ago. But he was uh, an avid diver in uh, St. Lawrence. So whenever we were, he would teach and he would refer to how you were teaching something in the class, he said, except Chris. They'll do something a little bit different in the, in the cold water, right? <laughs> and that was, we would do it like this, except you're in cold water, right? Chris, they, they probably handle it slightly different. And it was kind of interesting that uh, it was a little bit tailored for what I would need to know. Uh, but when I went down there, I was a, an assist, assistant instructor. So I did the whole course regardless. And it was a great facility. They definitely know how to teach there. They've got it down to like a, a science it's they're good at what they do and it was uh it was great to see uh professionals doing it at the top of their game very cool 
And so do you feel like you've taken away a good amount of that sort of, uh, you know, to inform the way that you teach now? Uh, yes. Uh, but one, probably the biggest influence I've had was, uh, Mark McGowan. He's, uh, he's the main instructor here and, uh, he's a, a very large influence on the diving culture, uh, and the instructing. He's been an instructor for, I don't know how many years he's retired RCMP and uh, yeah, he, he, he's very by the book. So he being a dive master for him, uh, I saw a lot of the same things at UDC. Very professional. Okay. Very cool. And so I guess following up on that a little bit, um, you happen to have spread your wings, we'll say in the configurations of diving at some point. Uh, and I know you, you'd mentioned a pile of things that you'd done while you were in Utila. Uh, tell us about how you transitioned into side mount diving and when, when exactly that came into play. When I was living in Alberta, my roommate, uh, she took the course and went, started side mount. And I really wanted to try, but at the time, I still needed to do my advanced and get some back mount gear, let alone side mount. So I, I very much taught myself a lot about it. Um, while I was back mount, uh, I started using bailout bottles on the wrecks off Bell Island here, and I would side mount the, my bailout bottles to keep them tucked in and out. So when I went to Utila, they had a try side mount uh, while we were there, and I took them up on that, and then it was just as good as I always thought it would be. And as soon as I got back, I reconfigured my gear to be able to dive side mount. And it was kind of a jerry rig system, but uh, I actually like it just as much as my dedicated X deep system. Now it worked just as well. Um, but the X deep is definitely uh, very slick. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, very well. I mean, I don't think you'll find much uh, much bias going on here with X Deep, right? Like, I I can't say that I enjoy diving. No, I'm kidding. Of course, <laughs> completely biased. I'm with you. X Deep is definitely my rig of choice. Uh, so I can I can definitely get where you're coming from there. So what, like, I guess, what is it then about the side mount aspect of diving that makes you? Because you're not like you know, it's one of these ones where you didn't just go and and kind of decide, hey. Yeah, this was kind of cool. I think I'll pick up a side mount rig and then I'll probably dive it once or twice. But most of the times I'll be diving in some other configuration. You really kind of went hardcore and got passionate about side mount diving. Why is that? Um, well, it, I find it easier on my back. Even though I'm slinging two tanks, uh, I can stand up straight. Uh, so from shore diving, uh, I, I, I enjoy it. Uh, I'm a bit of a gear fiend. So I like my gear, but it's the redundancy and uh, ease of access to the valves. Just all, everything that makes side mount, all the advantages of it, uh, I don't mind some of the disadvantages. So uh, I, I enjoy having two tanks. I enjoy the extra bottom time. Uh, I can get more scallops. So that's a real <laughs> uh, bonus, especially around here. So one of, one of the things you mentioned there was a sort of sideman diving off offshore, and I imagine you do a, a bit of sideman diving off of boats too. What's what's your approach for getting in and out of the boat? Because I've seen I've seen divers kind of get fully kitted up like on the deck, and then I've seen divers, you know, get very <laughs> convoluted with rope systems off off the stern of a boat and uh, and and do it that way. What's what's your favorite approach for getting in and out of a boat in sideman? Uh, we're kind of. Uh spoiled here uh to get off i just giant stride in and to get back in i just stand on the elevator <laughs> okay that solves, that solves that problem very quickly <laughs> uh if we're going off the rib generally speaking i uh i dive back mount just for ease of configuration but uh okay i prefer Fair. side mount and yeah when we're on the mermaid uh there, there's no issue <laughs> lovely well i guess we, we need to get a dive boat with an elevator that's a that's a goal for us isn't yeah. it right 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, April, um, uh, you're in charge. Yeah. We just need a boat first. <laughs> uh, with an elevator yeah. though. So yeah. if you could, if you could just go right ahead and look after yeah. that, uh, <laughs> tell Nick when it's sorted it's on out. My, yeah, I'll put it on my to-do list. The elevator is actually quite simple. It's on a winch. Hydraulics, right? Or a winch. Yeah. No. Nick, we'll just put an elevator on your boat. There you go. Well, well, thanks for getting us onto onto that idea, Chris. Um, but uh, another question I had for you is, uh, you, you mentioned, you know, uh, in Utila, you you got into the the tech tech courses. What what about technical diving that that appealed to you, and and why did you sort of venture in, into that sphere? Well, one of the things I love about diving most is just the science behind diving. What allows us to go down the uh, profiles and calculating your decompression stops and all of the science and calculations behind diving is uh, what I love about diving. So I've always wanted to go that way. But the real drive for me to go tech was to see the torpedo um, off one of the deeper wrecks in off Bell Island. That uh, It sits about 145 feet, so that's a little below my recreational ability. So. That was my goal, and luckily I've been able to go down twice now, and looking forward to a third time, uh, if not this fall next year. Oh, it sounds exciting. It also sounds something like we should put on our, our to-do list. Um, you, you currently work for, for Ocean Quest Adventures as an instructor in St. John's, Newfoundland. How has your experience with the technical and side mount side of things uh, helped you to be successful in, in that job? Well, the, the side mount doesn't really help much because I teach in back mount. But the uh, <laughs> what made me fall in love with diving and the science behind diving that uh, when I talk about it with my students and I try and describe what's going on, if they're having a hard time understanding like their buoyancy or like uh, why proper weighting is, is important, uh, especially with the dry suits and all the extra gear because we almost entirely teach in dry suits here. It's really important to get their weighting correct and they don't want to overweight. So when I'm talking about uh, what's going on and describing it, like I've, I've had people say like you can see it gl- the glisten in my eye because I'm just very passionate about uh, what we're doing. And apparently it, it can be contagious. Yeah, I think it's really important too as instructors to actually care and be passionate. So it uh, it definitely rubs off on the students. Uh, with Ocean Quest, you guys do a lot of diving uh, on Bell Island and you guys do the Bell Island wrecks. And I see all your amazing photos from the wrecks. Uh, do you have a favorite? Of the wrecks, uh, it was the Saganaga. But that was partly because I didn't spend much time on the Rose Castle. It's so deep. But now, with my technical abilities, I can have some more time on the Rose Castle. So um, it's hard to pick one. Um, I've also fallen in love with the PLM, which is the shallowest, partly because I've gotten the best photos on it. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's good that way. Uh, I'm actually, when I was laid off last year because of COVID, and I, uh, I started putting a book together with all the photos from all the wrecks. I was going to look into getting it published, and then I got hired. <laughs> so that got put on the back burner. <laughs> but I, I turned it into a mixed book, so that's here. Oh, Very nice. cool. So, so when is that going to come out? Uh, hopefully this winter, <laughs> when I get back at okay. it. Be, be sure to let us know and uh, we can we can give it a shout out right on we'll it'll do. be your book recommendation nick there you go yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a picture book all reading levels it's a picture. A pi- well those you are know. my favorite kind of books yeah no I, <laughs> really yeah when you get right down to it it, it was very what are it, these words yeah. <laughs> it was very wordy and then i cut it down for a minute so <laughs> i like that and i need that frankly like i'm not gonna lie <laughs> So I, I got to ask you, man, um, we've interviewed a lot of folks who love Bell Island and Bell Island diving, uh, you know, like really from all walks of life and all different levels of diving. Uh, but a recurring theme that we always hear about, and I've even heard about it from you, is Johnny O. <laughs> so 
I was curious if you can tell us a little bit about what is it about Johnny O that makes him such a memorable part of that Ocean Quest Adventures team? Because, yeah, it's, it's, everyone says it. Uh, it's hard to describe. You're just going to have to interview him. But uh, <laughs> his, his job title here is actually the Chief Happiness Officer. So, and he does a good job of that. And so, well, yeah, and I guess you and I have kind of like chatted uh, back and forth. And I must say, like, I'm always like a little shy and hesitant because I've never, never met him to drop that uh, shout out. So, uh, but yeah, he's, he's a guy that's on our list of folks that we've got to get on the show. Uh, might have to be a thing where we get you to help us produce that show. All right, we can do, we can make that happen. I got a list of people you could interview. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'd be awesome yeah. so w- one of the things that newfoundland is known for and, and something i've always been fascinated by are just icebergs you know the ones that kind of come through there so late spring early summer have you had a chance to, to dive them and if so w- what are they like uh, they are spectacular very rarely do we get the chance to dive them and uh, we didn't get any this year unfortunately but to describe a dive on an iceberg uh, we go down current so that you have to swim towards the iceberg and drop you for safety reasons. Um, and when you, when you approach it at about 30 to 40 feet, you can't see anything. It's just, everything's just so bright, bright. It's really hard to see anything. And then as you get closer, it's just this white haze until you get within feet. And then you can, your eyes readjust and you can see everything all kinds of little details and there's all kinds of little popping from the melting and they refract the light. So it's like a giant light bulb underwater. And I was hovering at about 80 feet and I could see the bottom, which was about 180 feet at the time. It was a big iceberg. It was actually grounded on the seafloor and you could look down and you can see where it dug in. And it's because of how bright it was. It was backlighting behind all the particulate in the water. And you could, it was just amazing. I've been looking forward to doing a, a dive on them again since. And um, we haven't had a good iceberg in the bay um, since when I, was a, when I was around or available to dive. So unfortunately, I'm looking forward to more. But with uh, the climate change, we haven't had many in recent years. That that's actually really impressive. You kind of really painted this sort of very visual picture uh, that that I think plays well for somebody listening to to, to a podcast where, where there's no visuals. So because um, I <laughs> I could imagine imagine being there. So that that was pretty cool. Yeah. What is, what is it that that makes the encounters? I mean, you mentioned they're rare. So what what is it about icebergs that makes it difficult to to dive them? And I I know there's an element of risk. Can you maybe describe what what that involves or what the risks are with diving with an iceberg? Well, the biggest risk is they have a tendency of, without warning, exploding and rolling. So that's a big one. Um, but if they're um, if they're not grounded, then they tend to bounce, like bounce in the water, and that causes upwells and downwells. Also, around the iceberg, you'll find pockets of fresh water from that's melting. So your buoyancy will just drastically go negative, and then you'll hit salinity again, and you'll be positive. <laughs> so you have to have uh, your buoyancy control in check. Um, you have to know how to adjust that in a hurry. And um, we usually don't approach uh, larger bergs unless they are grounded out so that they don't uh, have an up and down well. You'll still have the salinity issues. Um, and they do have a higher chance of rolling when they're grounded because they're, they're stationary and they're melting from the top faster. Generally, we do a few laps around it, looking at the stress fractures in the top. And if you don't have a good feeling about it, you don't dive it. Um, Here I was there, I was able to dive it. Mm. There was two. And the first one we were going around, and you could see a big crack in it. And there was a couple pops. And we're like, no. So we dove the other one. Uh, The next day, the one we we didn't dive uh, exploded and rolled upside down. And there's actually a CBC 
video um, when they were diving on the Belle Island wrecks that you can hear the bang. And it was probably about two kilometers away underwater. Wow. That, that's, wow. that's really impressive. Uh, yeah. Thanks for sharing that with us. Cause I think that's probably one of the unique things that, that we haven't covered uh, on this podcast and, and people haven't had a chance to hear about. And it kind of reminds me a little bit, a little bit about Jill Heinrich's story about diving in Antarctica and then, you know, sort of taking a pause between dives and then that entire icebergs just sort of disintegrating on them. Um, so yeah, so definitely something different, I guess that's maybe scope for a, a technical diving specialty with all the buoyancy issues and, and all the physics involved. Pretty cool. Generally, they don't usually let anybody dive them without a hundred dives under their belts. That w- that would seem fair. That makes yeah, sense. That would seem very fair. Um, Amit mentioned that you, you've had some big animal encounters up there. Did, is there anyone in particular that you, you might want to be able to share with us? The most recent one uh, was we were, uh, fortunate enough to have a baby beluga show up on a dive and it's stuck around for quite a bit of time. Um, that is too cool. The viz on the dive wasn't great. So I was trying to get everybody to swim deeper, but uh, it like it stirred up the bottom a bit when we were at a shallower depth. So when we got down to about 40 feet, everything cleared up, but the haze from the bottom made for some really spectacular photos I got. So, uh, my, uh, my fiance actually might be, uh, publishing some of those photos that she took, um, in diver magazine, hopefully, but we haven't heard back from them, uh, since she submitted her article. So we'll see. It still could happen. Yeah. I mean, diver magazine publication would be fantastic, but I mean, just overall the experience of seeing, any kind of, you know, uh, I guess that would be considered your charismatic megafauna uh, in these parts of the world. So, but to be able to bump into a baby uh, beluga, I just think would be cool in and of itself, much less anything that was willing to interact with you. And if I recall, this little guy w- or girl was really interacting with you guys, right? This wasn't like just a, it swam by. No, uh, it swam in and around and under and over and, um, it would sneak up on, like it would disappear and then it would sneak up on us and start tugging on our fins. And like, we, we weren't engaging it at all. Right. <laughs> I have to, I have to say that we weren't engaging it at all. And it would just come back out of nowhere. Uh, it scared me once or twice. Cause like, I thought it was gone and then we'd be going off and I'd turn around and it was right over my shoulder t- looking at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but there, I, I think I have um, a photo actually of uh, him tugging on the uh, fin strap of Michaela, and yeah, no, it was it was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was actually my second time ever in the water with a baby beluga. Last time uh, was five years ago, wow. and it was a smaller beluga, so it's entirely possible it could have been the same one. It was nowhere near the same location, um, but they they travel quite a bit, so mm-hmm. it's entirely possible. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Well, that that is pretty awesome, and um, well, we hope those photos get published so the rest of us can yeah. see them. But I guess I guess you've put some on your Instagram, so we'll we'll make sure we'll link your Instagram later in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, and with with that thought, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more from Chris Power. This episode of Dive In The Podcast is brought to you by Torpedo Rays Scuba. You can find them online at torpedorays.com. They've been teaching Canada how to dive for 25 years and are a proud sponsor of this podcast. If you're in Atlantic Canada and want to take a course or see the shop, stop in and see us in Dartmouth and check out the huge selection of scuba, apnea, surf gear, and much more. Dive tours are available for locals and visitors to experience all that our ocean playground has to offer. TorpedoRays.com has a vast selection of dive gear at unbeatable prices, with free shipping available in Canada and quick shipping throughout North America. So visit TorpedoRays.com or stop in the shop and you might even see one of us there. Welcome back to Dive in the Podcast. We're speaking with Chris Power. Chris Power is a paddy instructor, technical diver, and photographer based in Newfoundland, Canada. 
So, Chris, before the break, we were chatting a bit about Belle Island diving. And you've taken some pretty stunning pictures of the wrecks at Belle Island. In particular, I recall one that you took of your lovely fiance, Michaela, over the bow of a wreck. What is it that first got you interested in photography? Actually, it was the Rocky Mountains. Uh, when I was in Alberta, I used to do hmm. hiking up there. And I just had a little point-and-shoot camera. And this was before uh, cell phone cameras were at all good. And people were amazed at the photos I was taking. So I started investing in a better camera to take better photos. Uh, when I moved back east, I uh, and I got back into diving more. Or, well, I shouldn't say I got back into diving. I got deeper into diving. And I became more avid at it. <laughs> um, I eventually was taking some GoPro photos, and that just was not doing it for me. So uh, luckily, I had a lucrative uh, job at the time, and I was able to afford to get a housing for the camera. And then uh, from then on, my uh, the quality has gone up significantly. Um, but practice makes perfect. Diving the wrecks to one of the most fortunate things I have to say what. I have great photos of the wrecks is diving them as often as I, I've been able to because the viz isn't always great, but there's been times when I've been able to, you've been able to see uh, the divers from the deck of the boat looking down, counting all their bubbles. Wow. That's, that's pretty impressive. Um, Cause I, that was going to be one of my questions is um, you know, how, how is that transition for you from, from topside photography to underwater and, and is there any particular challenges that, that an underwater photographer might, might find in the waters off of Newfoundland? Around here, temperature, batteries don't last quite as long. Mm-hmm. I, when I first started in, I was trying to learn how to use a strobe light. But diving in January, the, uh, the sink cables used to get cold and snap on me. So I don't, mm-hmm. used, um, I don't use strobe lights anymore. I, have, I invested in a giant... Uh, big blue floodlight, but generally when I'm taking pictures of the wrecks, uh, I don't use the light because I'm not close enough to, right? It just causes more backscatter. So, um, the challenges is the, it's a darker water than if you go down South. Um, I find it's darker here than even in Nova Scotia. It's very similar, but it is darker here. Um, there's been times where I've been in the water and, you're ready to take photos and you get in. Um, and once you get down to 10 feet, you just stow your camera cause you can barely see your buddy, let alone be able to take a photo. But, um, there are still, uh, advantages here that I haven't seen elsewhere. Um, there's uh, shipwrecks that are right on shore. Essentially there's three whalers in conception Harbor. Uh, one's half stuck out of the water. The other two are laid down next to it. Um, deepest, if you bury your gauges, you might get 20 feet, but in February and March, <laughs> the whole place is covered in nudibranchs. So you can actually get some really cool macro shots here of nudibranchs. I'm, I'm not saying like a couple hundred nudibranchs. I'm saying thousands nudibranchs in, uh, in February, March. Wow. So the cold does have its advantages. Uh, they tend to congregate when all the, uh, the kelp leaves. Hmm. Oh, very cool. Maybe using, I guess I don't know much about nudibranch, but uh, I just think maybe they're using the ship as like, you know, some artificial kelp or something to that effect. Uh, I think they breed. Okay. That's my guess. I think we might have to get Wayne, uh, Wayne Joy up yeah. there because I've, I've not seen a guy as passionate about uh, nudibranch pictures as, as Wayne. So Wayne, if you're listening, looks like Chris has a spot for you to, uh, to head out to. You can handle the cold. <laughs> well, he's definitely a cold, a cold water diver at this point. So I got to ask you, you happen to be, I guess, recently part of an expedition with Ocean Quest representing the Provincial Archaeology Office. Uh, what can you tell us about that project? That was uh, an awesome week with a bunch of buddies is what that turned into. Um, the expedition was organized by Ocean Quest, but uh, Neil Burgess, uh, the president of the Shipwreck Preservation Society in Newfoundland, uh, does a lot of work with uh, 
provincial archaeological office. So he was able to get us permits to dive um, the Truxton and the Pollux off uh, Lawn Point and in Chambers Cove near uh, St. Lawrence in, on the Buren Peninsula. So these are two shipwrecks that were in that were uh, ran aground in World War One, I, I believe, and um, it's um, a harrowing story about that whole uh, incident. Uh, this was actually the second expedition I was involved in going down. Um, in both cases, uh, I just. I was very fortunate to get on because it was always last minute for me. And in both cases, uh, I was actually laid off at, like a week before the expedition. So uh, in both cases, I, I finally found time to take off and go down. And uh, the first time we went down, we found the Truxton. Um, but back then, I didn't have a camera. And the second time, I definitely had my camera. And we were able to find a lot more of the wreckage for the Pollux. Um, <laughs> funny enough, it was where I wanted to dive the first time, but they said no and put me in the water deeper. So, unfortunately, um, but this time we were able to, to find a lot of the wreckage. Um, but I think there's still a lot more down there. We didn't find any of the superstructure. It was just... Uh, uh, gears, shafts, and a couple boilers, and a ton of little debris. And that's what I was saying. We found uh, bolts and forks and knives. What it was is the uh, the Pollux was actually a cargo ship that was going up to uh, Argentia in Newfoundland, where the U.S. was building a Navy uh, facility. And when they were building the base... They liked their padlocks and they liked their bolts. So the, this was fully loaded uh, to the brim with gear and whatnot to, uh, to help build the base. But unfortunately, uh, they didn't make it. Um, it was one of the first big uh, catastrophes, I guess, to say, <laughs> um, involving radar. They, they were relying on radar and... Uh, they weren't aware of all the downsides and problems that could occur with the early radar. And they ended up running aground. And one of the three ships got back off. And uh, the other two uh, stayed where they were. And uh, the local mine in St. Lawrence actually uh, was a couple kilometers away. And one of the, uh, one of the sailors was able to scale the cliffs on the beach that they were, uh, they were trying to get to. And, uh, when he got there, the, um, the miners actually came out and started hauling people up over the cliffs. Wow. Uh, everybody was covered in crude oil, um, froze to death and they were hauling them up. They were lowering dories overboard, over the cliffs, filling them with people and hauling them back up and bringing them back to the mine. And they had all the uh, the women from the town come up to the mine and start scrubbing people down. And one of the uh, one of the sailors uh, was a black man, and he uh, they were scrubbing them and scrubbing them. And they said, "Sir, we can't get the oil off." He says, um, "That's my skin color. Right? I'm a black man." They're like, "Oh, so you're clean? Okay, we're done with you now. <laughs> you can go lay down." And he passed out, and he woke up the next day in one of the uh, houses because the whole town just basically adopted a sailor. And he woke up in somebody's house, and they came down and offered him breakfast. And he said it was the first time in his life that he was uh, he was treated like a person, and not just a black man. And uh, he actually did a lot of. Uh, uh, a lot of political stuff with rights activist, being a rights activist, and he was able to make a, quite a bit of money in his time. And he used to donate a ton of stuff to the town. If you can still go to St. Lawrence now, you can see that they have huge like soccer facility and and great playgrounds for the kids. Um, the U.S. actually was very grateful to the town and gave them a uh, state of the art hospital and luck. Fortunately for those, 
for the town, uh, when the miners actually started getting sick due to radon poisoning, uh, they had state-of-the-art facilities right in the t- right in the town. So it was like they saved the sailors, and the sailors saved them. Wow, that's that's a really yes. yeah. No, it's it's a great story. There's a there was a a documentary done on it um, as if okay. they were angels. It's been on CBC in Canada a few times, but as far as I know, it still hasn't been picked up in the states. And uh, so, this this expedition that you you were on, um, where can people find out more information about the expedition? Has there been anything published online or otherwise? Well, we went down there to kind of scout out the site um, because there is going to be a bigger expedition. Um, I don't know everybody involved with that. I heard Jill Heinerth was going to lead it. So we just wanted to narrow down their search. So the, the waters down there can be really rough. So if the, wa- if the wind hasn't been coming off the land for a couple of days, you can't dive. It's just like Chambers Cove, it's, uh, it, where the wreck landed couldn't have been a worse place because the, uh, like we, we can only dive it, I think, that trip once in a week because the it's just it just turns because uh, it's shallow and there's a lot of current. Um, the Pollux is closer to the shore, so when you're getting um, waves coming from like Bermuda, because <laughs> there's nothing in between Bermuda and Buren, they uh, like we were in there. I think it was three meter waves, and I was getting thrown um, like six seven meters, and then sucked back about half that. So it was very fun. <laughs> so like you get shoved up, you grab a rock, and then you hold on for dear life, covering the camera so you're not beating off everything. And um, yeah, it was fun. We found what we needed to find. And, uh, I look forward to their expedition on searching for more of the superstructure and seeing more of the wreck. But right now, um, I'd... Uh, we haven't really published much. You can see some of the photos I did on Facebook and Instagram. Um, they did an interview with uh, Neil on CBC um, here and now in Newfoundland. Uh, you can look up probably on their feed. And they used a lot of the photo- photos I took. Uh, they interviewed him and said, do you have any photos? And he's like, call this guy. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> That's that was awesome. interesting. So not many folks get to uh, participate in expedition diving. What made it so special for you? Well, everybody I went down with are buddies of mine. It was, uh, it was just a great time. Uh, if we <laughs> didn't find anything, it was still going to be a good time. And then uh, you'd come up and you'd actually find something. Like the first, like I said, a couple years ago, we were looking for the Pollux and we didn't find it. And this time I turned the corner and came down and you saw, the first thing I saw was a little lock. I'm like, wow, found something. And then I look up and they're everywhere. And it was really cool. And then we turned the corner and um, the, uh, there was parts of the hole, like in amongst all the pebbles on the bottom. And uh, we found one of the, uh, the bow guns. So knowing where the bow was, we could kind of project where the stern would be, and we were able to find uh, more of the debris. It, it was really cool being looking for something that you knew was in the area. Um, back in the 90s, there was a, uh, a dive show, I guess, uh, I think on Discovery or something, and they were able to dive it. So there was a picture of the main... Uh, reduction gear on the Pollux. And I was like, I want to find that. And uh, fortunately, I was the one who did find it. I have a photo of it um, with my buddy next to it. And everybody sees it. So, oh, wow, that's a cool gear. And then they see him. And this thing's like 25 feet wide. And they're like, wow, that is massive. (laughs) That's actually um, the Provincial Archaeological Society or Office's journal they publish every year. That's their cover this year. That was it. That was pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah, that's something else to be uh, on the you know making the cover. Yeah, I sent Amit the uh, link. Yeah, for that. and we'll be we'll be sure to pop that into the uh, show notes as well. So now, Chris, uh, you know it wasn't quite exploration, but in our own way, uh, we spent a week on a boat together 
exploring some very well explored areas of the Bahamas. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to mention is that throughout that trip, you sported a Batman dive suit on many dives. And I just wanted to say, really, just, you know, coming from the heart, the fact that you dressed up as Batman was rather flattering to me because, I mean, obviously we understand that I'm actually Batman, but I really was flattered, dude. It was actually really cool that you would go <laughs> to that kind of effort to dive with me and uh, hide my identity. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of that trip was the dive briefing on, I think it was day three. Uh, I was in the back of the group and they were giving us our dive briefing for the first dive of the day. And I had pulled on this Batman suit. It's, it's a Lycra <laughs> morph suit without the hood. So I had it up around my waist. Nobody could really tell what was going on. And uh, while the briefing was going on, I started pulling it up over my shoulders. <laughs> and the, uh, the guy doing the briefing, one of the, uh, one of the instructors on the, the or guides, I guess, on the boat saw me and he like winked at me and he was going. And at the very end, he said, if anybody has any problems, just ask Batman and he'll be in the water with you. And everybody <laughs> turned around and there was me in the suit. <laughs> and that's when I met, uh, I had a crush on me ever since. Uh, one, one way to put it. I think that's a perspectives, eh? perspectives as it were. No, you definitely made that though. I, got, I think I told you that at the time I was like, dude, if every dive sucks from here on in, as long as you're diving in that suit, it's going to be a good trip. And uh, yeah, I think we were pretty well. Well, I think we were getting along quite yeah. well before that, but I think became pretty fast friends at that point. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was an accelerator. I, I'll give you that. I, I, lo I love that story. Um, you you do a lot of great photography, Chris. Um, some of which we've we've talked about here. Um, where where can folks find you online? And is there anything or anyone you'd like to shout out? Well, I'm on uh, Instagram at at CJ Power Photos. Um, there, like I, if anybody wants photos, just ask. <laughs> um, but I, I do it more for as a passion and a hobby than I do anything else. That's pretty much where you can find me, uh, Instagram and, and Facebook. And eventually when I have my book made, it'll be there too. We're, we're certainly looking forward to the book. Um, what keeps you diving, Chris? I find if I don't go diving... Uh, every at least every couple of weeks, my sinuses and everything start backing up. So <laughs> I just I'm made for the water. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think there's a month that's gone by in the last year that I haven't been in the water at least once. Uh, where I was able to get another set of uh, first aid regs, so now uh, me and Mrs. Uh, we both dive side mount. And the last dive we went out for, we were it, it made for a faster day and we were in the water just as long as normal because we were, did a 90 minute dive and uh, we didn't have to take a surface interval. So it was great that way. And that's another advantage of the side mount that I like is you get down and you can do everything you want to do on two dives without having to surf. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> no, no one is going to argue that one with the mitt. No. Um, yeah. Well, well, that was that was a really awesome, uh, awesome chat, Chris. Thank you for for taking us on a on a special trip to Newfoundland, the diving, the icebergs, the history, and the wrecks, and and we really appreciate really appreciate you sharing that with us and coming on here and, and taking the time to do that. Thank you very much. Well, I look forward to you guys joining us. <laughs> but yeah, we, we, we keep plotting will, it, so yeah. uh, it's you know one of these days we'll have to show up there. Every time I get like an epic photo. I always text it to Amit saying, hey, you, look what you missed. I'm telling you, though, if, if there's an epic photo to be taken, you've got you to give me the Batman suit. Done. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I'm going to just toss myself to the next uh, section of the podcast. So <laughs> the first, uh, first little bit we have tonight is uh, on a single breath. Um, and we haven't done one of those in a little while. And tonight I'm going to be talking about the benefits of freediving. So, April, uh, what do you think might be a couple of the benefits of freediving without looking at the notes? Oh, yeah. I'm not even scrolled down to the notes right now. But I think I, I see it as just like a, um, like a lot of like mental benefits, like very relaxed and calming and grounding yourself. So, I guess like some of the similar benefits you would get from like meditation or yoga or something. 
Yeah, no, that's that's pretty good. That's one of them. So um, just off the top of my head, I put this together earlier today. So there's there's about 10 of them I'm going to just list here. One one is improved breathing. Um, the, f- the funny thing is most people think uh, freediving is about holding your breath, and it is. It's about apnea, but it's really reliant on mastering really good breathing techniques to sort of foster relaxation. Um, and the one you mentioned was sort of mental focus and concentration. Um you know, like to, to do a static hold or to sort of propel yourself down to a deep depth, you really have to to be able to focus and sort of um, concentrate and, and kind of put things out of your mind and, and not sort of worry about certain things. Um, and for some people, that sort of then translates to better mental health uh, in connection with other benefits of freediving. Uh, connection to the water, like we we have, we all have mm-hmm. that as divers, right? You have that as a scuba diver, uh, but one of the things that free divers take away with from it is sort of the low burden of equipment, right? It's just a pair of fins, a mask, maybe a wetsuit, and a weight belt, um, so you get a lot of flexibility, um, and you get, you know, you're quiet under the water, and you can glide through the water mm-hmm. more freely. Um, so that's, that's kind of cool, better, you know, you might have more interesting wildlife encounters when you're, when you're free diving. And especially you also tend to spend a lot of time at the surface as a free diver. And sometimes you, you mm. see things at the surface that, that somebody spending time at the bottom, uh, might not, um, you have to overcome discomfort. You, if you want to, um, accomplish certain things, you have to set goals and you have to meet certain challenges. So it teaches discipline, right? You have to, you a lot of people beginning freediving, they, you know, they often think, oh, they look at somebody that's sort of like at a high level and they go, oh, well, I want to get there. And they try to push really hard, really fast. And, and that approach only takes you so far. So discipline mm-hmm. is, is the thing that you need to, to sort of train and invest time in. And one of the big things is that the ability to hold your breath or do deep dives on a single breath coupled with all the training that goes with it um, increases your safety around water, right? You become... Mm-hmm. Um, better adapted at being around the water. So if you were to fall in or let's say you're a surfer, you get knocked down by a wave, um, you're, you're more likely to be able to deal with that. And for scuba divers, um, because all that breathing that's involved, all that relaxation, um, you get a better breath control. So you get better air consumption. So you get a lot of scuba divers that, that take up free diving can then apply some of that. Um, obviously not the holding your breath while diving, but the breathing control. Um, and then also the ability to deal with high stress situation and mitigate panic. If you're likely to overbreathe and hyperventilate in a stress situation, you can then sort of take a moment, take a couple of deep breaths and sort of put that focus to use. Um, it's a great complement to sports such as scuba diving, like I just mentioned, but also surfing. If you're a surfer or a kayaker or something, and there are times when, you know, surfers want to go surfing, they need big waves. And that's mm-hmm. a really poor time to go freediving because you want nice, mm-hmm. calm water. So if you do something like surfing and freediving, you can actually be in the water all the time because when it's good for <laughs> one, it's bad for the other. So it's perfect. Um, and also, like, again, if you're, you know, somebody like a kayaker and you've got all this extra water safety, if you get rolled over or something, that's mm-hmm. also a great complement to that. Um, and one thing... Um, because I recently did a crossover for rebreather course. Um, one of the things that f- rebreather divers learn about is hypoxia and hypercapnia. So taller, uh, you know, low, low oxygen and, and high CO2 and free divers actually have to uh, adapt and, and build up tolerance to hypoxia and, and hypercapnia as part of, of free diving. So they know that firsthand experience. And it's something that rebreather divers only learn about theoretically because on a, on a breathing loop, you don't want to get hypoxic ever and you don't ever want to have a CO2 hit. Mm-hmm. So I actually think that technical divers should at least do an entry-level freediving course to sort of understand those concepts firsthand. Um, try to explain that to a tech diver and you get funny looks. But I do both, <laughs> and I, I can connect connect the dots um, so that if anybody's thinking of going down that road, that's something to, to think about. General health, like physical health, you're improving sort of your lung function because you're trying to maximize your lung capacity, your flexibility in your rib cage for diving. And generally, freedivers tend to lead a healthier um, lifestyle in terms of nutrition and exercise than, than maybe other types of diving. That's yeah. another benefit. And that all kind of wraps it up. You become a more confident person. You build up that self-confidence around the water, around yourself, around your your own abilities and, and your mental health and all of that. So, you know, 
I think anybody, I'm biased here, but anybody should try free diving. But if you're <laughs> a recreational diver or a technical diver, there's also some benefits that you can get there. So, you know, get on in on a, on a single breath and see what that has to offer for you. And maybe it's just about learning something a little bit, or maybe you see improvements in your own sport and you decide to, to carry on with it. Yeah, no, I think that was a great segment. And uh, I like what you said about... Um, like they take care of themselves because I think that's really true because, you know, of course with scuba diving, you know, things get a bit rustier, like your buoyancy might get rusty or whatever, but free diving, I mean, if you don't do that for a long time or you don't take care of it, those skills, they, uh, you know, they get rusty much quicker. Uh, yeah. And I feel like all the, all the free divers around Halifax, they're all like very like fit and uh, really like health focused. So it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's nice and yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely goes with with that culture and and that sport. Yeah. And uh, and you're right. You know, like just before COVID, I I I was in Dominique in 2019. I did a really big dive, one, probably one of my nicer dives. You know, 50 meter no fins. Um, and you know, I I that was kind of the limit of what I could do. But you know, COVID mm-hmm. came around. I got a little heftier, ate a lot more food, sat around <laughs> a lot more. I would not dare to try to do that dive today. You know, it would probably take yeah. me a few months of training to get back to that. So you're right. It is, you do have a perishable sort of ability and if you, if you don't practice it. Yeah, sure. no, I like it. Awesome. Cool. So I get to toss myself to the book recommendation. Um, there's a theme <laughs> here. I'm catching up for not being around. Uh, yeah. Um, Amit, you are going to like this one. Um, okay. So my book re- recommendation is the third dive. I've got a copy here. Uh, by Robert Osborne, um, and it is uh, an investigation into the death of Rob Stewart. Rob Stewart was the famed uh, filmmaker conservationist mm-hmm. that filmed Sharkwater, and uh, unfortunately, he perished on a on a rebreather dive in in Florida in in a story that became uh, really really controversial uh, and mm-hmm. involved a lot of different actors. And uh, Canadian viewers may have seen. The documentary, it's a short documentary, about 45 minutes, uh, called The Third Dive. Uh, it's on CBC Gem, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. And it, it's basically, it mirrors the book. But um, what what the documentary doesn't do in 45 minutes is kind of dive really into the intricacies as to what happened. Um, and, and sort of some of the, um, you know, the different players and the different actors. So I, I'm not going to preempt you know, the, the book itself, just it's, it's such a, a big story with a lot of nuances. I, I don't want to be the one to sort of put my foot in it per se. Uh, but it being such a big story, if anybody's interested, uh, you know, in the life of Rob Stewart, uh, in the accident that happened and, and there are a lot of lessons for, for divers and technical divers, um, around the accident, uh, itself and, and why some things, um, some of the issues around the investigations and some of the politics around that. So the, the third dive by Robert Osborne, uh, an investigation into the death of Rob Stewart. It's about 200 pages. Um, so it's, it's a fairly quick read, but uh, really, really interesting book. And I recommend um, that uh, you can pick that up and uh, put it on your reading list. Excellent. That uh, yeah, I can say there's probably millions of people around the world that were probably heartbroken when that story first broke. And yeah, I mean to to be able to share some insight into what exactly kind of led up to that would be great to see. And well, just you know, for for a guy that really kind of hung himself out there, uh, doing a lot of things that put himself in danger, just on the the hopes of changing perceptions of the way that we interact with the oceans and and the way that we interact with these apex predators that are really keeping a a huge balance in our ecosystems is, is a really, really neat thing. And to, to be able to see them put it in this perspective, uh, is super cool. So I look forward to, to reading that one and I won't, uh, it's killing me not asking the question, you know, tell us Nick how it all happened. But I I think it's, it's a fair, uh, it's a fair choice of yours to, to say you're going to stay away from that. Not I'm going to respect that. I, I also didn't write the book, so you know I'm not. I don't want to. I don't want to plagiarize it here on, on the air. So uh, yeah, definitely a, a book that the divers. It's a it's a book uh, uh, of our era for diving, right? It's not a book that was written about diving or an incident that happened, you know, twenty, thirty, fifty years ago in in, in mm-hmm. some forgotten era of diving. It, it is very much in the present for our generation and our generations of divers. So uh, so definitely accessible. So I'd uh, put that on your reading list. Excellent. So that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so that does it for today's episode. I want to thank again, Chris, for joining us. Um, I guess I have to say it's been a pleasure. I'm reading Justin's line here. Um, I want to <laughs> thank Chris for joining us. It's been an awesome pleasure. I also want to thank uh, 
Amit for setting up the interview and doing the pre-production and all the background work there today. Thank you for that, Amit. Uh, it was a good time. Uh, and yeah, very happy to have my buddy Chris uh, on the show and that he was happy to share some of his uh, experiences with us, especially about his photography passions, his Bell Island passions, and uh, yeah, being like a, an actual expedition diver. So super, super cool to, to have a chat with him again. And uh, April, thank you for being here. I guess we got to take you a little bit to your roots in a sense. Yeah, I always like talking about uh, Bell Island, and I, I had to uh, refrain myself from saying my classic line every time <laughs> someone says Bell Island. My mom's from there. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll use a Mitz line this week and say, uh, I just show up and, and talk to people, or whatever he says. <laughs> that was my this week. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Another great episode and great uh, catching up with Chris because uh, I haven't actually gotten to talk to him for a while. Yeah, I guess uh, COVID kept us apart a little bit, but uh, it's yeah. great that we get to reconnect with, with people through the podcast. And uh, while well, Justin's not here, but we're going to thank him anyway for all the hard work he does <laughs> uh, technically behind the scenes, editing this show and hosting it. And we hope to have you back soon. And uh, and uh, just, just uh, you know, if you're listening to this episode, uh, it would have been uh, edited in record time because uh, Justin is on his way back from vacation. And the uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's Thursday night now. He doesn't get back till probably early Saturday, Saturday in the morning. wee hours. And he will have to edit and push this episode out in record time. So thank you ahead of time for the hard work there, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> As he's editing and hears this, he'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. He'll just cut it out. Yeah. Don't forget, you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash diveinpod and get some fun rewards for doing so. Visit our website, diveinpod.com, for all the links you need, episodes, merch, and so much more. On social media, you can follow Justin at iDiveOK. I'm at April Weikert. I'm at Nicholas Winkler Photography. And next week, we're speaking to Tiffany and Tom Gear who are the new owners of Aquanauts Grenada. And we spoke uh, to the previous owner, Peter Seupel, uh, early on in our podcast. So tune in for the next episode when we get an update from them in the sunny island of Grenada. And this episode of Dive in the Podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, Torpedo Ray Scuba. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. Reviews are one of the best ways to help others find the podcast. Thanks for listening. 